So this is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 26 to 40, page 1155. That's 1155. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When we come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three, should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Thanks, thanks very much. Should we bow our heads and pray? Father, please speak to us in your word by your Holy Spirit. Sometimes things are hard to understand, but uh, the Spirit teaches us all things. And so we pray for his help this morning. For Jesus' sake, amen. Well, we received uh, this great game um, on the screen. You might see a picture on the screen last Christmas called Herd Mentality. Uh, Each card reveals a new topic. And to stay in the game, you must give the same answer as the rest of the herd. I wonder if you have a favorite word game like that uh, to play perhaps with your family or friends. Whether it's a silly word game or a serious conversation, we always need to know the rules of the game. What can we and can we not say? How often should we speak? Who's allowed to speak? Who gets to speak first? Who must hold their tongue? What topics are allowed? And uh, who makes the decision about what is allowed and what isn't? Well, it's just the same with the church. The church is not like a silent movie. It's a gathering where lots and lots of people speak and um, lots of different words. But how should that speech be regulated? Well, that is the subject of our reading today. It's essentially a how-to-speak-to-each-other-in-church guidebook. It's the rules of the game. But before we examine those rules, we just need to remember where we are in the letter. Uh, The church in Corinth was wonderfully blessed spiritually. 
All the way back at the very beginning of the letter, chapter 1, verse 4, Paul said, in Christ, you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. You see, God had poured his Holy Spirit into their lives, and so they were able to speak spiritual truths to one another. Uh, But that spiritual gift, along with many other spiritual gifts, was being misused, if not even abused, in this church. And that is what Paul is dealing with in this section, chapters 12 to 13. And most recently, he's put two particular speaking gifts under the spotlight, the gift of prophecy and the gift of tongues. Prophecy, words that everyone can understand. Tongues, unintelligible spiritual language that makes sense to no one unless it's interpreted. And we saw two weeks ago one big principle as he considered those two gifts. Only speech that makes sense should be spoken in church. And he gave two reasons why that is the case. First, it builds up the church. Second, it witnesses to the world. And so Paul urges the Corinthians to put prophecy, words that make sense, much higher up their wish list than the more dazzling gift of tongues that they were slightly obsessed by. And we thought two weeks ago that prophecy isn't uh, really thus says the Lord type speaking, but it's a much more ordinary type of thing. And chapter 14, verse 3, it says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That is what prophecy seems to be. So it is the preacher as he explains the word of God and applies it to our lives. It's the prayer as they pray based around spiritual realities. It's stories of God at work in someone's life. It's an interview, perhaps, like we had this morning. It is spiritually guided conversations that we have together after church or in a home group. It's the words that we sing in the songs to one another. But I do think that prophecy, those kind of words, can also be spoken in the the formal part of the gathering together. Not scripted, but not micromanaged. And that is what we're going to try a little bit later on. You'll see on your service sheets, uh, we've called it shared word ministry. Um, We could have called it prophecy time or something else. It doesn't really matter. Um, The point is we're going to try to put this into practice as a congregation because God seems to encourage us in his word to share words with one another that strengthen one another and comfort one another and build one another up. That might be a new thing for many of us. It might be a familiar thing for some of us. And uh, we may, even as I begin, think, that sounds a bit awkward. I don't like the sound of that. I really hope it's not awkward. I really hope it's a blessing. We're seeking to do it because God seems to encourage us to do so in his words. And when we get there, I'm just going to explain a little bit about how we do it. But first of all, we need to know the rules of the game. What does God's word say to us about how we can actually do that kind of thing? Two lessons, first of all. Edifying speech speaks for the sake of others and, com- and submits to collective spiritual wisdom. Edifying speech speaks for the sake of others and submits to collective spiritual wisdom. Verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Just imagine what it's like when you turn up to church in Corinth. Everyone is desperate to get there in time. Everyone is early because they want to be at the front of the queue of contributors. Everyone wants to get their hands 
on the mic. There's no lack of spiritual enthusiasm, but are their motives right? And so Paul starts with the headline for this whole section, which is the first of two bookends which, guide, which hold this whole kind of how-to guide together. Verse 26, everything must be done so that the church may be built up. It's the picture we explored before, that the church is a spiritual construction project. God is building a new spiritual temple made up of living stones, people connected together by their faith in Jesus. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives in each individual Christian's heart, but in a special way, the Holy Spirit lives as we gather together to worship God in Jesus' name. And the words that God has given us to speak are the tools he has put in our hands, if you like, to build the temple. And so, of course, every word must be edifying. It must build up. It must be said for the purpose of that great construction project. But what does that mean in reality? Well, Paul begins with the Corinthians' favorite form of speech, tongues, 27, 28. If anyone speaks in a tongue... One, uh, two, or at the most three, should speak one at a time. Well, let me just begin with something I think I should have said two weeks ago, which is that uh, not speaking in tongues is not a sign that you're somehow a spiritually inferior Christian, that you're somehow less filled with the Spirit. The Bible says that tongue speaking is a good spiritual gift. It can strengthen an individual's faith. And, and we heard uh, some stories of individuals who have that gift and use that gift in their own lives last time. But to say that you must be able to speak in tongues to be a real or an especially blessed Christian is just not true. And if you're here this morning and you've heard that elsewhere, just take that thought and put it in a bin. But what about if you do have the gift of tongues? Can you use it in church? Could the Corinthians use it in church? Yes, under two strict conditions. First of all, they had to take turns one at a time. You see, speaking in church is not an ecclesiastical equivalent of a primary school show and tell. Look at me. Let me show you what I've got. Listen to me. Check out my gift. They had to put into practice those great principles of love that we saw in chapter 13. Love does not boast. and It's not self-seeking. They had to take turns. But more importantly than that, perhaps, their words had to be interpreted. Someone must interpret if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Well, so perhaps what we can imagine here is that there's a, a tongue speaker in the church in Corinth and they know that another member of that church has the gift of interpretation. Chapter 12, verse 10 says that it's a separate gift. Or maybe they're aware that they can interpret their own tongues. Chapter 14, 13 says you can pray to interpret your own tongue. Either way, if they or their friends can't interpret, they need to hold their tongue. So there's caution about tongue speaking in church, it seems. That's even evident when it comes to the number. Did you notice that? Two, or at the most, three. Well, is that a hard and fast rule for us today? Probably not. But it is there to temper the Corinthians' excessive enthusiasm for tongues, and so I assume it should still make us and churches today cautious. All our speech should be spoken for the sake of others, to build others up and to strengthen them in their faith. Now, tongues could do that, but only if interpreted. 
If not, well, we're speaking to ourselves, great, and to God, great, but we're not building one another up. And as we saw at the end of the previous section, the the, the risk is that anyone who's not yet a Christian might hear that kind of speech and think, these guys are mad. So what about prophecy? Is that a better option? What are the rules of the game when it comes to that gift, 29? Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. You notice immediately there's a more encouraging tone. It's not if anyone speaks in a tongue, but prophets should speak. Not at the most three, but two or three. Again, there are important conditions. First of all, the words of the prophet need to be weighed carefully. You see that it says, um, the others must weigh carefully what is said. Who are these others? I think most likely it is the church in general. It's not a special group of prophets. It's not necessarily the church leadership. And what is more, it's not a vetting process that happens before someone is allowed to speak publicly. All the way back in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul said of every Christian, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. And at the start of this section, chapter 12, verse 3, he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So all Christians have God's Spirit. If we have God's Spirit, we can evaluate whether the words another Christian says are constructive or destructive, true or false. And so if we want to speak publicly for the sake of others, we must also submit ourselves to that collective spiritual wisdom. What does that mean? Well, perhaps just thinking in the moment before we speak, are these words that are on my heart helpful? It might mean being asked later by a brother or a sister, um, what is it that you meant by that? Just explain a little bit more. It might mean saying to a friend in advance, you know, I really feel like God wants me to share this with my church today. I've been thinking about this, praying about this week. What do you think about that? So we submit our speech to our shared spiritual wisdom of the church, all the while we're speaking for the sake of others, not for our own egos. Can you see those ideas explained in what comes next? Verse 30. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. So here's the second condition for speaking these words in the church. Don't hog the floor. It's good to say something. Good to speak. It's also good to stop. If someone else has uh, something to say, pass them the mic. doesn't matter who they are. God can speak through them too. So Paul seems to be saying, bring your own words to a close and allow someone else to serve you with their words. After all, serving one another is what speaking like this is all about. Do you see that? We instruct and encourage one another, verse, uh, 30, um, verse 31, in our, where am I going? Are we, no, we instruct and encourage one another, verse 31, in our faith. We're speaking for their sake, not our own. And verse uh, 32, we are allowing one another to monitor and weigh our words. Well, let us... Just think, how can we put that into practice? Can we put that into practice later on when we come to this time of sharing God's word with one another? Speaking publicly isn't a performance. 
not for me, not for you. It's not to make ourselves look good in front of others. It's not to massage our own spiritual egos. It's not a test of spiritual maturity or, or doctrinal expertise. What is more, as we think about this lesson, I think we can have seriousness and confidence as we speak because our words are the tools that God has put in our hands to, to build up the church and strengthen the church. So as we do that, let's reflect him. Do you see that verse 33? For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. He's, he's not building a jumble of bricks. He's building this beautiful spiritual temple, and he encourages us to be part of that. Well, that's uh, lesson number one. But It's not the only rule of the game. And the second half of the passage, I think, sets out a second principle. And you know sometimes you have a board game and you start trying to read through the, the instruction manual and you get to some rules and you think, these rules are just weird. Why do we have to do these? Wouldn't it be easy if these rules weren't here? Well, I think that is a little bit like that when we get to verse 33 and uh, following. Perhaps we look at it and think, why is this in the Bible? Uh, here is my best effort to explain the second half of the passage. Orderly speech honors others and shows humility before the Lord. Orderly speech honors others and shows humility before the Lord. Let me read from halfway through verse 33. As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Well, you'll have noticed that I've followed the reading of the footnote, because I think that is the best way to read the paragraph, and I'm going to show you later on why I think that matters. But I suspect you're not actually very bothered about where the comma goes. You're probably thinking, what is this doing in the Bible? What on earth does this mean? Well, forgive me for um, sharing with you my sense of humor. It reminds me of a Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse sketch um, if you're, it's quite an English kind of thing. There's, some, there's an image of it up on the screen. If we just flick forward, uh, Sergey, could we just move forward onto the... Um, so, keep going. So, we've seen that lesson, and uh, now we're on this lesson, and uh, here's, here's, the, here's the sketch, okay? So, it's a 1920s style public education announcement, and it goes like this. An ordinary dinner party, the sort of thing we all enjoy. The men are exchanging witty stories. And look at the women. Aren't they pretty? They're delightful. But then the conversation takes a serious turn. And one of the men says, I wonder if the government should return to the gold standard. And another man answers, I think it should. To which the first says, good. Then we're all agreed. But then in the words of the narrator, one of the women expresses a wild and dangerous opinion of her own. And it all goes downhill from there. And the announcement ends with these words. Women, know your limits. What do we do when God's word sounds too much like that? Well, for a start, we can't just ignore it. So you might want to flick on. I don't want any more offense to be caused. Um, for a start, we can't just ignore it. Do you notice how it's intimately connected with what has been just been said? So the word silent is actually the same word translated in verse 28, keep quiet, and in verse 30, stop. 
The word speak is all over this reading. The word submission is the same translated in verse 32, be subject to. And the word inquire is very similar to the word instructed, verse 31. We don't notice that when we read it in English, but they're all the same words. So Paul clearly wrote these words, and and any attempt to say, I didn't really write them, someone else wrote them, we can't do that. And he clearly wrote them here. But what is he saying to us? Well, I think my best answer is, as you can see, orderly speech honors others. Just bear with me as I try to explain that. It's a bit complicated. Uh, Remember that Paul said, chapter 11, verse 5, that women could pray or prophesy in the church gathering. So clearly, this is not a blanket ban on women speaking in church. Um, Nush and Rachel and Vix have not done something wrong, okay? But back in chapter 11, we also saw that there were issues with how women, especially uh, men and women, especially husbands and wives, were relating in this church. There was an issue going on. And I think a similar issue is, is, is coming back up in these verses. Do you notice two clues in the passage? First, Paul says they should ask their own husbands at home. So something is going on between husbands and wives, not women in general. The word in Greek is the same. Second, Paul says it is disgraceful. And that word makes us think, oh my goodness, that is, that is a strong word. But just don't you think we should expect the word disorderly? Given everything that he's just said about taking turns and about God not being a God of disorder and the way he finishes in in verse 40, he was saying everything should be done in an orderly way. He says it's disgraceful, not disorderly. Why is that? Well, again, think back to chapter 11. That was a tough chapter as well, wasn't it? But it was all about honor and shame. And that is the issue that is rearing its ugly head again in Corinth. Honor and shame. In a church that had messy relations between husbands and wives, men and women, they need to know what behaviors honor others, what behaviors dishonor others. Because somehow they're getting that wrong when it comes to their speech. And there's another clue that points us towards the answer. Verse 34, it says, They must be in submission as the law says. Now, Paul referred to the creation story in chapter 11. And that is what he must be talking about here as well. He's not talking about some secular Corinthian law. He's talking about the law of God. He's talking about the creation story. In other words, that there is a God-given creation order in marriage. Not of importance, but of spiritual leadership. So what's going on in Corinth? Well, maybe we should imagine at least some of the wives raising questions, contradicting their husbands, even arguing with them in public as they spoke words of prophecy or as they weighed prophetic words. Is that okay? Well, on the one hand, Paul says, verse 11, the others should weigh what is said. And we saw that that is about collective spiritual wisdom. That's not just about a certain group of men weighing that. But on the other hand, remember that their church doesn't meet in a church like this. It meets in a private home. So how a wife behaves in her home is one thing. How she behaves in a, in a public meeting is another. It's a blurry line. And it's pretty hard for us to know exactly what was going on. But I think we can know enough. Whenever anyone spoke publicly, 
whether it's husbands or wives or anyone else, they had to walk that tightrope of honor and shame. We still walk that tightrope today. Do you notice how this little paragraph is, is sandwiched between references to all God's people. And that's where where you put the comma matters, I think. You see that verse 33? As in all the congregations of the Lord's people, verse 36, or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? See, the, the Corinthians somehow just think to themselves, we're the only people who matter. Paul says, no, you're not. You can't just imagine that whatever you do is okay. In every place where God's people gather, in every culture where people worship Christ, they need to get that balance right between honor and shame. So I'm 99% certain that it's not the same hard and fast rule that he lays down here for Corinth as it is for us about men and women, husbands and wives. It's a cultural thing that he's addressing here. But as he addresses that cultural thing, There is a a principle underneath that we still need to take very seriously. Orderly speech honors others. It does whatever it can not to dishonor them or to bring the church into disrepute. I guess we all have a bit of a sense of what that means. We'd need to spend some time thinking about it, but here are some ideas. Is something said that embarrasses another person? Are there unwritten rules which we know as the in crowd and against which we judge others unfairly? Are there dynamics, hidden dynamics, between men and women, young and old, rich and poor, black and white, British and foreign-born, that make that cultural tightrope even harder to walk? You see, whenever we speak words in church to build others up, we should make as much effort as we can to honor others. And that might be hard, because it doesn't come naturally. But it's vital because it reveals the state of our hearts. Can you see that in the second half of this final lesson as Paul comes to a close? Verse 37. If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. So Paul is sitting there writing and he's thinking, they're going to push back against this, I can tell. These wonderful, wonderfully gifted, super spiritual Corinthians are, are going to want to have the final word. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, especially gifts of spiritual speech, they need to learn to show humility before the Lord. A spiritual person doesn't just speak spiritual words. They must also submit to God's spiritual commands set down in his word. If not, one day God will burst the bubble of their overinflated egos and turn away from them. So as we speak publicly for the benefit of others, submitting to collective spiritual wisdom, seeking to honor those around us, let's remember this. God doesn't just hear our words. He knows our hearts. And let's show humility before him. Uh, So what are the rules of the game? How does a church speak spiritual words to one another? And we reach the second half So the second bookend of this section, the other half of the headline, verse 39. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Edifying speech, orderly speech. That's what was needed in Corinth, and it's what we should desire and pursue for ourselves today. It can happen in all sorts of ways. And later we're going to try and speak those kind of words to one another. 
But as we do that, let's hold on to these lessons. Edifying speech speaks for the sake of others and submits to collective spiritual wisdom. Orderly speech honors others and shows humility before the Lord. I'm going to pray. And then after we've prayed, Doug's going to introduce the next song. And then um, I'll introduce the next part of our service. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us the gift of speech, that you give us words to say to one another. And we thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And Lord, sometimes your words are hard to grapple with, but we, we pray that you would take what is true and what is noble and right from what we've considered t- today and you'd write it on our hearts. And, and anything that is unhelpful, you might remove that from us. And you would help us together to build one another up if we ask, us, ask it in Jesus' name and for his name's sake. Amen.